0: to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study.
1: I will start off with a question like I almost always do to get you thinking. When you tell a story, where do you start? When you tell a story, where do you start? Well, the obvious answer is at the beginning. Yeah, I just heard somebody, at the beginning. How do you determine where the beginning is? Now, don't point at anybody, but do you know some people that tell a story, and they're not sure where the beginning is, so they go way back and share everything And you get to the end, it's like, you know, you could have just said this in like four or five sentences instead of the last half hour. Um, I won't ask for anybody to confess that you're one of those people. I know I can get a little long-winded sometimes telling a story. But when you tell a story, where do you begin? You begin at the beginning, and depending on the story and what you're trying to communicate, that beginning may be at, at different parts. You know, I've told stories before I start out. It's like, well, you know what, I need to back up just a little bit to really get you to understand what this story is all about. Well, we see that in effect when we have the four men that God called to write the Gospels, the stories of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God called each of them, um, to write down uh, The story of Jesus' life But each one of them Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit And the direction of God Had a different purpose A different focus A different um, audience So they started in different places Okay What we think of as the traditional Christmas story Is only shared by two Matthew and Luke And they share different details But as we look at the Gospels We see Matthew Matthew, his purpose in writing his gospel was primarily to the Jewish people to show that Jesus was their Messiah. And so he starts off with a genealogy to show that Jesus is descended from Abraham, their father, their patriarch. He's also descended from King David. And he jumps right into the story of Jesus's conception and birth through the eyes of Joseph because that's where the lineage will be uh, accounted for. And then all through his gospel, he keeps pointing to fulfillment of scripture. So the Jewish people, I mean, the gospel is good for anybody, the gospel of Matthew, but so that the Jewish people in particular would read this and say, hey, Jesus is our Messiah. And then you have Mark. Mark was a younger man. At least at the time Jesus was around And I don't know exactly when he wrote his gospel But he was one of these guys like Just tell the story Give the details What's most important And you know He If you read his gospel It may stand out to you He says And then immediately this And then immediately that And then It's like one of these shows That's really fast paced And it shows you this And boom It cuts to another Goes to another That's the way Mark wrote And he totally ignored the birth of Jesus He just jumped right in Saying God sent John To tell us about Jesus And he jumps in And talks about Jesus It's also the shortest gospel And then you have Luke. And we've been working our way through Luke over the last year or so. And about a year and three months ago, we started in there. And Luke is the analytical, logical, write it all down, make it real uh, clear and plain. And he starts with, okay, John came to prepare the way. So how did John show up? So he talks about how John showed up. And he was prophesied and predicted by an angel and how that happened. then how Jesus showed up. And he shows up from Mary's perspective. Where the angel shows up and talks to Mary because his purpose was to write for everybody, and he wants to let everybody know that everybody's involved, not just the men, not just the Jews, but even the women. I know that sounds racist, uh, not racist, but um, sexist, but that's just the way their culture was. Women didn't count for much. But no, women are important to Jesus, and everybody's important to Jesus, and so he structures his whole gospel that way. And then you have John, and John was the last one to write his gospel. The others were written within a couple decades after Jesus died was buried and resurrected and ascended to heaven John is writing several decades after that and most of the people he's writing to have already perhaps heard of Matthew, Mark, and Luke and that's why the gospel of John is so different because he's writing from a different perspective and kind of filling in the gaps and that kind of stuff but when John says I'm going to write my story of Jesus well I want to start at the beginning in fact I'm going to start before the beginning not just the beginning of Jesus but the beginning of the world because Jesus was there before the beginning of the world and In John's introduction his gospel is a little bit more theological and we sometimes think of theology and theological stuff is kind of ooh, dull, dry, and boring it doesn't have to be dull, dry, and boring some people are really good at making it that way but it's not supposed to be theology literally means just the study of God And the study of God's stuff. And so we're going to jump into John's story about Jesus coming into the world. And we're going to be reading from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And the title of my message today is, The Word Became Flesh. Because that's the phrase in verse 14 that John uses to describe Jesus coming into this world. The Word became flesh. So let's just look at the passage, John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Not the same John that's writing this gospel, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. And then here's the key phrase we're focusing on today. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Among us And we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me <laughs> So that's a little funny He says jesus showed up after I showed up But he's still more important because he actually existed long before I was or long before I did verse 16 for from his fullness We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So John deliberately begins his story of Jesus' life like another passage that maybe you're familiar with. In the beginning... What the book of the Bible starts with? In the beginning. Genesis, the very, very first book of the Old Testament, talks about how everything came into being. And it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did God create them? He spoke. It says, and God said, let there be, and there was. And God said, let there be, and there was. And God said, let there be, and it was. God's word went forth. And created everything that has ever been created. It's interesting, if you ever do a study of the Gospel of John, more than just a cursory reading, you will find that almost every single major idea and theme that is found throughout the book is found in these first 18 verses. God's Word, the Son, His relationship with the Father, light, and darkness, life, both physical life and eternal life. And it's a really, really interesting study. But the good news is I'm not going to take you through all that this morning. By the time I get to the end, you say, well, pastor, you still took us through a good bit. Well, we're just going to do the best we can to try to understand what John's trying to communicate in these first 18 verses and what that says about why Jesus came and what that should mean for us today. So that's what I want us to look at today. I want to talk about the meaning of these verses. It's significant for us and how we can apply it. So we're gonna break it down just a little bit and talk about the meaning. And first of all, I wanna talk about the meaning of the word. The meaning of the word, it says, in the beginning was the word. What is this word? Who is this word? What does this word represent? Now, if you're familiar with the gospel story, which many of you are, or even just reading through these 18 verses, if you're familiar with Jesus, it's quite obvious. The word's Jesus. But when you first start out, you don't know that. John says in the beginning was the word. And so when people would read this for the first time they're like what is this word John's talking about? And John John is so smart. He's so I mean God directed him in how he wrote this because this would peak Uh, Everybody's interest This would pique the interest Of the people Who don't even know About Jesus People that weren't even Part of Jesus' people Jesus' people Being the Jewish people In the world at that time Even though the Romans Were in charge They basically thought Like Greeks Because the Greeks Had been in charge first And the Greeks Had their Greek philosophy How many of you Studied Greek philosophy In school? How many wish you hadn't studied Greek philosophy in school? Yeah, you know, and so the philosophical, philo- philosophical worldview of the Greeks was all through the world. And when John said in the beginning was the word, that was kind of a, I won't call it a trigger word, but a word that even people that don't know about Jesus would immediately say, the word. You see, in Greek philosoph- philosophy, in Greek uh, reasoning, the word was this Impersonal, it wasn't a person, it wasn't a being, but this impersonal principle called reason that was behind everything and basically caused everything to be and kept everything in order. Now don't ask me how some impersonal principle can do that But that was their viewpoint But John was smart because he's going to tell them about Jesus And he immediately hooks them with something they understand This is the force This is the principle This is what is behind everything that we see That kind of keeps everything in order But I'm going to share with you who it really, really is But the Jewish people had a totally different viewpoint When John said in the beginning was the word If he had stopped right there The Jewish people said, yeah, it's God Because the word was associated with God And with John saying in the beginning It would immediately make them think of Genesis How God in the beginning Created the world with his word God's word is powerful All through the Old Testament leading up to Jesus God's word is associated with creation Because he brings into being what things that don't exist by his word It's associated with revelation, how God reveals himself to people because he would speak to people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, other people. He would speak to his people through the prophets. He spoke by giving the law through Moses that told his nation, his people, how they were to live and how they were to relate to him. But not only that, God's name was associated with power exerted on their behalf. You read through the Old Testament, there are times when God's people... Needed to be delivered And it says that God spoke to bring deliverance There's even a couple places where it says He he spoke to bring healing So for the Jewish people this, This word It's God and his presence And his power And how he created things And how he reveals himself to people And how he helps them That's what would come to their mind Just immediately after that first Phrase In the beginning was the word so basically, this word is the one who fully expresses God, who he is, what he's done, and what he's willing to do for his people. Well, there's so much, uh, we're just going to skim over it, but so much theology in these first couple verses is, in the beginning was the word. Going again back to Genesis, in the beginning. What that means is that in the beginning, when it all started, before that. Okay, in the beginning at that point in time when god spoke and created the world god already existed But john is saying at that point in time this word was already there too Now again, we've had the spoiler. We know this word is talking about jesus And so it's saying that jesus is to use the theological term pre-existent In other words, he existed before anything else was just like god in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So this Word, now that would confuse the Jews a little bit. Say, well, wait a minute. How can He be with God? Because I thought He was God. I thought the Word was God. No, no, the Word was with God. That means that this being, this whatever it is, is with God. And the way that's worded, He's in close interpersonal relationship with God before anything else existed this word was with God separate from God but yet in close interpersonal relationship and then the next step would really and this was a big stumbling block for the Jewish people because it says the word was God in other words this word existed before anything else just like God was in close personal relationship with God and was yet also was God too and this is the beginning the foundation of our understanding of the godhead being a trinity father son the holy spirit john's going to bring out the holy spirit later in his book and i know i can't dig deeply into this but i know the trinity it's like well it doesn't seem to make sense you know how can it be one god but three persons or personalities but that's what we see in scripture we serve one god with three different personalities father son holy spirit when we talk about this in our membership class, and we're not going to dig deeply into this, one thing that gives me really hope with this, because I think it's just one of those things that's true, we don't understand it, but you know there's a lot of things I don't understand, but they're still true. I don't know if we'll understand it when we get to heaven, but an illustration I like to use in our membership class when we talk about the idea we believe in the Trinity is that totally apart from God and the study of God, in our world, people who study physics and quantum mechanics, and don't worry, I'm not going to dig into that, they say that over... Time we have discovered that the world and how it exists is like this. I'm just going to be very vague. It's like this. But we've also discovered that the world and how it was formed and how it exists is also like this. And both those things are totally true. But there's no logical way that they can both be totally true at the same time. But they are. You know, if out in the world of physics and quantum mechanics, if there's things that the smartest people Worldly wise cannot figure out because they seem to contradict each other, but it's both true. I can tell you what in the realm of the spiritual and God himself, there can be things to say, I don't really understand that about God, but God's word says it is, so I just believe it's true. So this word existed before anything else. Close relationship with God and actually is God. Now there are some cults that translate this verse, the word was a God, or it's just me, this word was God-like. They say that grammar says that has to be that way, and that's just not so. Just telling you that, you know, it could be translated that way, but that's not what it means there. In fact, you go through the rest of the chapter, and the same sort of phrases right there, and it's obvious it's talking about the Word is God, and you can dig more deeply into that. So, this Word is God; He's with God. Later, we see He's called the Son. The very last verse, the verse eighteen, says that He's at the Father's side. And we see that this word reveals who the father is again in verse 18 It's going to tell us that nobody's ever seen god fully seen god Moses got a little bit of a glimpse that god revealed to, him, but nobody has fully totally received seen god But it says that this word is the one that has made him known has revealed what god is like It also says that he's the creator of all things All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. I thought God created. Yes, God did create, and Jesus is God. And God created, but he used Jesus to do it. Jesus was actively involved as God's agent of created of creation. God carried out all of creation through the work of His Son. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him, talking about Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Hebrews one two says, Through whom Jesus is also he God created the world and as John says and Paul says in Colossians he created everything that was created so there are other cults that would say well Jesus is much more important than any man he was the first created being well not according to the word of God because according to the word of God he was involved in creation everything creating everything that was created so he's the creator of all things Paul talks, I mean, on not Paul. John talks about how he is the source of life. In him was life. That's another theme all through God's word. It's talking about physical life. Physical life came from God through Jesus Christ. It's talking about spiritual life. That spiritual life can only come to us through, uh, to, uh, spiritual life with God through Jesus Christ. He says, this life was the light of the world. Another great theme through John is light. In fact, that's a theme through the whole Bible. Light versus darkness. In the beginning when God creates, everything's dark. He says, let there be light. And for the rest of history of mankind, especially in the word of God, but we even see the nuances in our society that light is what is good and right and just and darkness is what is wrong and sinful and evil. And it says that this word was the source of life And this life was light The source of all that is good And I love that part It says and the darkness has not overcome it Oh can I tell you from the very beginning The darkness has tried to overcome the light And there are times we go through things Where it seems like the darkness has overcome the light But the darkness can never totally overcome the light It can't It can't So this word, what is it? Jesus is this word. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate self-disclosure of God. Jesus is the ultimate way in which God has communicated to man and revealed who he is and what he is like. That's the meaning of the word. I want to talk for a minute about the meaning of became flesh. Became flesh. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. God himself, Jesus Christ, came to this earth and became human. Does that mean he stopped being God? No. Jesus always has been God. While he was on earth, he still was God. And after he left this earth, he still is God. Before he came to this earth, he had nothing about humanity In him or about him But when he came to this earth as God He also took on humanity He became flesh We can't even begin to understand that The eternal Omnipotent All powerful Omniscient All knowing Omnipresent All present God Limited himself to become a man And he did it not just by showing up as a big, strong, manly man, but he did it by becoming a baby. That's what Christmas is all about. He took on flesh. He became human. Again, fully God, yet fully man. Paul writes about this in Philippians 2. He says, verses 6 and 7, who, talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, in other words, he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus was God. And I mean, there's this big problem in the world. It's gotta be taken care of. People can't do it. God's gotta do something about it. And the solution is he's gonna come to earth and he did not selfishly, Say, oh, no, I don't want to stay here. Oh, no, I'm just going to keep being like I am God. But I am willing to put some things aside. You know, it says here, um, uh, emptied himself. And theologians have been, dis, have been d- debating for 2,000-something years about exactly what that means. But from what we see in Scripture is that God, Jesus, when he was here, was still 100% God. But... In some ways, in some forms, he veiled that. He mute, you can say he muted that. So that's why you can see when you read stories about Jesus while he's here on earth and there's certain things he didn't know. Well, in his deity, he did, but he had muted that. So in his humanity, he did not know. A good example is when he says that, you know, no one knows the day and hour. When the sun's gonna come back And when Jesus was in his flesh He had muted that part of his deity um, You know So he did not know But I believe he knows fully now You know And there are other things But yet there's times you see Where the deity was not I again use the phrase I mean, Muted because he knew What people were thinking He knew certain things He shouldn't have been able to know as a man Because he was fully God But he became flesh And it goes on to say that John bore witness of him. In verse six, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's almost like the beginning of the gospel of Luke. That's exactly how John, uh, I'm sorry, Mark. That's how Mark starts. He says, God sent John. Now, John was not the light. There were some people in the first centuries uh, of of, of the church and stuff who thought, well, maybe John was the one that God sent to, no, no, John, John was just the one that God sent to prepare the way. In fact, John says, I'm not him, but I'll show you who he is. And he pointed out to Jesus. So John bore witness to him so that people would believe. And it says that this one, this God who existed before the world and created the world came into this world he created and they didn't recognize him. And they rejected him. We see that all through the stories of Jesus' life. But fortunately there were some who did. Over time, recognize who he was and they did receive him they did believe him most people rejected him when he came to his own he came to his own creation and his own people did not receive him but some did and all who did receive him all who believed on his name he gave the right to become children of God you know sometimes there's this idea that we're all children of God and that just is not true we're all created by God Uniquely created by God Uniquely loved by God But we are not children of God Until we turn to Jesus Until we receive And until we believe That's what John is saying here What does it mean to receive? Well, what would it mean if it says If somebody came to you and you received them It means that you accept them That, that you have a relationship with him, You welcome them You begin to interact with them in the Gospel of John, it indicates that this is not just knowledge or agreement of facts, like, yeah, I know Jesus existed, blah blah But it means to have a personal relationship, to welcome, to accept, and in the case of Jesus, to trust and submit to him. Be sort of like saying, Well, you know, do you know the governor? Well, I know I may know some stuff about the governor. I don't know that we have anybody in here That actually knows the governor But there are people that know the governor I mean they know the governor Because they can call him up They can talk to him They have met with him They can shake his hand They can eat dinner with him Because they have a relationship with him And that is the same difference here It's not just people that know about Jesus Or even people that agree That what the Bible says about Jesus is true Yeah I believe that Jesus is God And everything that John wrote here I believe all that And that he came and he died for my sins That unless we actually apply that to ourselves It's just knowledge In fact, James tells us that's the kind of faith that demons have. So if you just believe in Jesus to the extent you say, well, I believe everything the Bible says about but you don't have a personal relationship, you've got demon faith. Don't mean to insult you, but that's what James says. But he says he received them and they believed in his name. In the Bible, the name represents the whole person, who they are, their character, what they do. That's why the name of the Lord is a strong and mighty tower, because that's what God is. Trusting in the name, it means trusting in God. It's just another way of saying that. And it says to believe in his name, to have confidence in and be fully persuaded about him, everything that is true about him. To those who received and believed, he gave right to be children of God. Now on this side of the cross, we realize that means we put our trust in who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we accept him. We make him our savior and our Lord. And it says that this is only comes about because of God's work. Verse 13 says, who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And it has nothing to do with the physical. It has nothing to do with the husband saying, hey, let's have a baby. It has nothing to do with some kind of physical act. It has nothing to do with a certain ethnicity. It has nothing to do with this physical. It's all spiritual. It's only brought about by God. Not because people decided to have another kid. That's how we become children of God. So we go on to the last... Part of that, the meaning of dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see some explanation of that in the last part of the passage here. Again, that word dwelt, we read it and say, well, he came to live with them. That's what it means to dwell. But that particular word would would just resonate in the Jewish people's minds. Because that word literally means that he came and pitched his tent. You may say, well, why would that resonate? What's the big deal? Jesus came and pitched his tent with his people. But you see, the tent that they would think of is the tent that God had his people build when they were going through the wilderness because God says, I'm gonna come down and dwell right in the middle of you. I'm the almighty, all-powerful, all-powerful, omniscient God, creator of heaven and earth, but I have chosen you to be my people and I'm going to come down and manifest my presence right in the middle of you. As they traveled through the wilderness and they would camp for the night, they had an exact way they would lay out the campsite and God's tent, God's presence was right in the middle later after the temple is built. That's where God's presence is, right in the middle of his people in the city of Jerusalem. And so what this is saying is that when he dwelt among us, he pitched his tent. God coming in the form of Jesus was to come down and be right in the middle of the people, right there where they could see him and talk to him and touch him and have him touch them. He came to dwell among them. This makes me think of how Matthew referred to that. The prophecy from Isaiah that said someday a virgin will give birth to a son, you know? And Matthew quoted that in Matthew one twenty three. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God didn't just exert his hand to do stuff. Thank God when he does. But he came to be with his people. And we see that carries over even past Jesus' life. He came to physically be with his people. But now, since the cross, when we know Jesus is our Savior and Lord, he is with us by spirit. He dwells within us by his Holy Spirit. God is still with us. Jesus is still Emmanuel with us. The rest of the passage talks about how when Jesus come, when Jesus came, One of the purposes was to reveal the Father. It uses words like God's glory, God's mercy, God's truth. That Jesus was the manifestation of God's presence because he is God. And he was the best explanation, the best example of what God is like. God's glory was seen in his life. Not the literal shining glory, except during the event of the transfiguration But God's glorious presence was manifested In all that he said and did Especially when the supernatural broke into history Through the ministry of Jesus His glory, his truth He brought God's truth He showed God's grace God's goodness and love to his people That kind of reflects the Old Testament principle Of God's unfailing love and faithfulness in fact, he wraps up this passage in verse 18 by saying no one has ever seen God. Again, talking about fully seen. Moses saw a little glimpse and God, uh, God manifested himself in, in certain ways throughout the Old Testament, but not fully. No one has fully seen God. The only God, though, talking about Jesus now, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Paul expands on this, and so does the writer of Hebrews. In Colossians one fifteen, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Colossians two nine says, "For in Jesus the whole fullness of deity, God Himself exists, dwells bodily." Is the way he puts it. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Hebrews one three says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature in other words what John says if you want to know what God is really like look at Jesus because Jesus is the fullest and most complete uh, expression and revelation of God himself so what's the result well as john's writing this in the story jesus hasn't died yet so he's not given the full thing of all he died on the cross that our sins could be forgiven if we put our trust in him but he says the result is that we have god's grace and we not only have god's grace but we have grace upon grace a couple different ways that could be understood some translations say we got grace and even more grace and more grace and isn't that how god is as we seek to serve him and, and love him, he blesses us and he gives us even more blessings. Yeah, we got to deal with problems. We live in a sinful, fallen world. But he's there with us. And it's one blessing after another blessing after another blessing after another blessing until we get to heaven when it's all blessings. Thank you, Jesus. It could also be translated grace on top of grace or grace Instead of grace And, and it, that kind of goes with the next verse Where it says that you know God's truth came through Moses But grace and truth came through Jesus and, and he's not downing Moses in the law He's saying God revealed himself through the law Through Moses And that was a good thing But now something even better's come That's the grace on top of grace You know Jesus And God's grace and truth revealed through him Well there we go We dealt with all the theology Was that too painful? I hope not I hope that gives you a little bit more understanding of who Jesus is and why he came and what John's trying to communicate. But what's the significance? Why did Jesus, God himself, come in the flesh? Why did Jesus come at Christmas time? Well, scholars say it really wasn't December 25th, but that's okay. We can celebrate it then. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did he become flesh? And this passage tells us two reasons two reasons the first one is this Jesus came to reveal God to people Jesus came to reveal God to people. Yes, the Jewish people and those who became associated with him did have some revelation of God. They had a lot of great revelation of God through the Old Testament and that kind of thing. All the ways that God had worked on behalf of his people throughout history and how he'd spoken through his prophets. But there was still this, this kind of real major barrier between them and God. And to be honest with you, there always will be because God is so far above and beyond anything that we are. But in the process of salvation, God says, I want to reveal myself more fully. And I will do that through Jesus' coming. So Jesus came to reveal God to people His character, His glory, His grace, and His truth. And the same thing is still true today. If we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, have surrendered to Him as Lord, He reveals God to us. We get to know what God is like because we know what Jesus is like. And we should be growing in that I don't know about you But I haven't arrived yet A lot farther along than I was But I haven't arrived yet But Jesus not only came To reveal God to people But Jesus came to reconcile people To God Again this is the prologue This is the introduction of John's book He hasn't gotten to Where Jesus is rejected and crucified And what that means But his resurrection You know his death Brings forgiveness His resurrection brings new life But he'll get to that And we have the whole rest of the New Testament to explain the further part of the story that John starts here. The gospel, the good news that says that all people are sinners. You know, Genesis starts in the beginning, God created, and you have this beautiful chapter of when God created, and it isn't very long. You only got like one, one and a half chapters where everything's cool, and then sin enters the world and everything's a mess. And it doesn't get straightened out to the last chapter or two of Revelation. Because humanity rebels against God, chooses their own way, and we're all part of that humanity. We all have sin all of sin and fall short of the glory of God God's glorious presence God's glorious mercy and His grace we don't deserve it we can't earn it Paul goes on to say that's from Romans Paul goes on in Romans to say but the wages of sin is death because of that we all will die physically but not only that we are dead spiritually we have no relationship with God we may kind of pick up a little bit about God but we have no relationship with God we are all dead spiritually but that same verse goes on to say but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus came to earth yes to reveal more about God to people but to reconcile people to God because he was headed for the cross. We often say he was born to die. The whole purpose. He was a good person. He had some great teachings, great example, but he was born to die. God himself came to earth to live the perfect life that we cannot live, to die a death he did not deserve, to pay the price for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God. We are part of that world that he came into. He came into the world, but the world did not receive him. The world did not reject him. As I said earlier during communion, this is not just talking about the physical world. This is not just talking about the world of people. This is talking about the world that is in rebellion against God, an evil society, rejecting God and his authority. But Jesus came to set in motion a plan that would turn it around for those who would respond and and so as we look at this passage it talks about Jesus came to reconcile people to God, we have a choice. Just like the people then, it says that most of His people rejected him. But there were some who received. Some who believed. And that's been true all through history since then. Great majority of people reject Jesus Christ and the revelation of God through him and who He is and what he's done. But there have always been the remnant, those who heard the truth, those who received him, and those who believed upon him and accepted him as Savior and Lord. And I would just pause right here to say that if you are here today or you're watching online and you have never done that maybe you know all the facts maybe you don't maybe you have an understanding maybe you thought you're cool because I understand this stuff I accept it whatever but you've never surrendered your life to Christ you've never come to him to ask him to forgive you of your sins not because you're so good but because he is and he died for you I challenge you to do that today to take that step that John wrote about to receive to believe to put your trust in Put your faith in. Put your hope in. Results in salvation and the blessings of God's grace. So as we wrap this up, how do we apply this? Got the theological. We talked about the significance. How do we apply this? Let me just give you a couple of ways to apply this today. Worship team's coming. We're going to be wrapping this up in the next just little bit. First of one, I just talked. First one is this. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. That's why He came. John 1, 11 to 12, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. God offers to every human being the right to become his children if they will receive, if they will believe Jesus who he is What he has just explained theologically And what he's done Which he will explain in the rest of his gospel And all the other writings we have of the New Testament Accept Jesus Christ As your Savior and Lord The second thing is this is Get to know God by getting to know Jesus Unfortunately there are people That will make a commitment to the Lord Accept Jesus as their Savior Go to church But they never take much time To get to know him Peter exhorts us in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the byproduct is that you're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of God our Father because Jesus is the greatest representation and revelation of who God is and what he's like. We don't just start that relationship which is significantly important. Save from our sins because Jesus is our Savior. But we begin to grow in that relationship. How do we do that? Well, you've got to have that relationship first. We just talked about that. But you do it through God's word. Because that's how we learn more about Jesus is through his word. We spend time with him. Read his word. Meditate on it. Study it. Which sounds really... All it means is you're putting your focus on it, trying to learn something from it. You spend time talking to him. Just like you would anybody else. I know it's a little bit different because you can't see him. You can't touch him. But God is there. You can talk to him just like anybody else and if you learn to hear his voice you will hear him too i don't mean an audible voice i know very few people that have ever heard an audible voice of god but through his word you will hear him speak to you and jesus is the best way to get to know god i really think you ought to read all through god's word some parts are harder than others and some i mean i have to admit i really skim through the genealogies you know Some are more applicable at the particular moment, but God's word has a lot to offer us to help us to grow in our relationship. And so take the time to get to know him. That's why Jesus came. And I would just add this to that, that we can do that not only by ourselves, which we should do, but in conjunction with other people. You know, God, Jesus founded the church. His presence is in the church in each individual person who's accepted him as savior, but also Paul talks in Corinthians that as the church is gathered together God's presence is there in a special way and I see two main purposes for that one is we got to work together to reach other people for Jesus tell them the good news that we've had the privilege of knowing and responding to but the other one is so we can be there for each other because this life can get rough to be there for each other to encourage one another to challenge one another and to help each other learn more about God through Jesus So the second challenge is get to know God by getting to know Jesus. And two more, just real quick, are encouragements. I don't know if you need to hear this today. I would not be surprised if more than half the people in this room are watching online, you need to hear this, these last two. Number one, be encouraged that the darkness of this world can never overcome the light of Christ. Be encouraged that the darkness of this world can never overcome the light of Christ. Now, I know it looks iffy sometimes. I know things can come against us. Things can overwhelm us. We got a physical diagnosis. It's like, what in the world is happening and why is it happening? And if God doesn't do something, I don't know how long I am for this world. I'm in a lot of pain. Whatever it might be physically, it could be a financial thing. Something caught you unaware. Maybe you made a poor decision, a poor choice, whatever. But your finances are a mess. Maybe your marriage is in a shambles. Maybe you're uh, alienated from your children or your parents. Other relationships, things are oh, just terrible at work, tough at school, whatever you might face. As the enemy tries to get you down to say, your world is dark. There is no light. Jesus is that light. And please know that no matter how dark it seems, you keep looking to Jesus, the light. Because the darkness, as long as you keep looking at him and focusing on the darkness will never overcome that light. It never will. And the fourth and last one is this. Be encouraged that God, Jesus, is with us. He's with us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He now dwells within us. As Matthew referred to Isaiah's prophecy, this one to come will be called Emmanuel. God is with us and again sometimes you may be going through something and it feels like I don't sense God's presence it says he's with me but I don't I can't tell can I tell you he's with you he's with you you may be going through a test they say the teacher's always quiet during the tests God will let us go through some tough stuff sometimes but he's he's there he's there he's there let's all stand together I'm going to invite our elders and my wife, Pastor Jan, to come. We're going to close as we often do. The worship team will lead us in some worship. I encourage you to take this time to sing along, to meditate on what God spoke to you about today. If there's something you need to do about it, take care of business with God today. But if you need Jesus Christ as your Savior, you want to surrender your life to Him, come, we would love to pray with you to see that happen. If you've got any questions, we'll answer them as quickly as we can and pray with you. But also, as you are here today, if you've got a need in your own life or you're concerned about a family member or friend and you would like somebody to pray with you, that's what we're here for. You come. We'll pray with you. You can share as much as you like, not too long, or as little, or you can just say, just pray for me. But that's why we're here. Let's take a couple moments to do that. And then afterward, either myself or my wife will come back to close our service today.
0: What a powerful name. (laughs) Oh, aren't you thankful for the name of Jesus? Oh, Lord, we praise you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you came to earth as flesh. So that we can have a personal relationship with you. God, I pray for that one that is listening to the sound of my voice. That has not quite made the decision to surrender their lives. I pray God they would choose today to surrender their heart and life to you. Father, we thank you. Lord, I speak blessings over everyone that is here. As we leave this place, may we enter the mission field. God, may we be your hands and feet to the hurting, to the lost. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message Revival study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.